Well, good morning, happy Sunday, and welcome back to week number three, our last week in the sermon series called The Reset. Uh, way, way back in the year about 400 BC, the famous Greek physician Hippocrates discovered or proposed what some people think was the first ever personality test. This is a guy after whom the Hippocratic Oath is named. Uh, he had a brilliant mind back in ancient Greek culture, and he proposed that based on the level of fluids within your body, that's what makes you distinct from your brother or your sister, your mother, your father, or your neighbor. Hippocrates thought that you could actually measure the level of blood or bile or phlegm, and based on how much or how little you had, that would explain why you behaved like you. Now, here we are, um, 2,400 years later, and few people test the level of their bile or phlegm to try to figure out their personality, but we still are infatuated with that simple question, who, who are you? That's why there are so many tools and tests that many of us have had to take at work or at school or maybe even here at church. I'm curious, show of hands, how many of you have heard of the Myers-Briggs test before? That's another version of Hippocrates' theory. How about the Clifton Strengths or Strengths Finder test? Have you taken that? Um, it's okay to confess this in church. How many of you have ever been on Facebook and taken the Which Disney Princess Are You? <laughs> personality test. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of hands for that one. There's the disc profile. There's the Enneagram. There's the love languages test when it comes to measuring how you give and receive love. There's all these different tools that try to help us really answer this fundamental question. What makes you different than your neighbor? What makes you distinct? Who who are you? Yeah, we are no fools to try to figure out the answer to that question. In fact, if taking notes at home or here in church, I'd love for you to write down this great question that every wise person needs to answer. Who are you? Not who are y'all as a collective, as if all humans were the same, but who are, are you individually? What makes you different than your parents or your siblings, your, your fellow Christian or the person you're raising, the person you're dating, the person you're married to. I would propose that the wisest people think a lot about that question because the stakes are so high. There is so much misunderstanding and frustration and unrealistic expectations when you assume that everyone is just like you. And there's so much potential and so much beauty and so much growth when you come to recognize the differences between people and, and lean in to their God-given strengths. For example, uh, parents are raising two kids. If they just assume and expect that those kids are exactly like each other and exactly like their mother and father, mom and dad are in for a very, very difficult journey. Parents, you ever had a kid and just looked at your spouse and said, who is this child? Where, where, where did this come from? <laughs> because they don't think like you. They don't see the world like you. They might have your nose or your eyes or little bits of your personality, but sometimes apples fall really far from the tree. And if you're going to parent that kid well and not shove every child into the same box, you have to ask that question, who, who are you? Uh, how many people here today are married or, or dating someone right now? Yeah, lots of us. I, I would say, <laughs> so you, you got to figure this out fast. If the person you are dating, your partner is not just a different gendered version of you. They don't think like you. They don't see the world like you. They don't share the same strengths, have the same expectations. And if you're going to uh, experience real unity, you have to recognize the difference and the diversity of the 
person that you're with. Just, just expect and impose your personality on another human or vice versa and it will backfire. But figure out the opposites and why they're really both beautiful things and maybe then opposites will attract and a family will be stronger than it could be than ever before. I mean, workplaces care about personality tests because they recognize this principle. Sports teams recognize that not every athlete is the same. It is so important in every area of life to answer this really basic but profound question, who are you? It turns out when you grab the Bible that God is asking that question too. You know, in the Bible, um, God says that we have a lot in common, we humans. All of us came from the same source when God spoke and he created us. We all have the same principal problem that we've fallen short of God's expectations. We need forgiveness. We all have the same solution in Jesus, the cross, the God who loved the world as a collective, the, the Jesus who came as the Lamb of God to die for the sins of the world. All of us. But the Bible at the same time would recognize that even though we have these biggest things in common, there's a lot of things that make us very different. In fact, there's four famous sections of the Bible, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, and Ephesians 4, where God actually digs into the differences and their importance. Um, he knows that if we forget about this, we're going to mess a whole bunch of stuff up. If we're not aware of how we're wired, we'll be blind to our biggest temptations and we'll miss our greatest opportunities to bless others. He knows that the church is going to implode unless we recognize this principle that we are a part of the same body in Jesus, but we are different parts within that body. And so today I want to turn to one of those sections of scriptures and help you answer this huge, great question, who are you? And who's the person next to you? And who's the son that you're raising or the woman that you're married to? The pastor who's pastoring you? The person in your life group? Let's Grab God's word, dig into one very powerful verse and see if we can answer that question with God's help. Who are you? So, I just want to tackle one verse today. It's from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 16. The Apostle Paul, a first century Christian, wrote these words. He said, From him, that's from Jesus Christ, the whole body, that's a reference to all Christians, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, it's kind of a complex sentence. It has a lot of little clauses and phrases and a bunch of commas. So let me underline the really big idea, the main idea of this verse. It's where Paul says, the whole body, it's all of us, grows. So this is really a section about spiritual growth. How do you get stronger in your faith in Jesus? Did you know and this isn't just like some pastor trying to hype you up with positive spirituality. Did you know that God actually wants this year to be your best spiritual year ever? Y'all believe that? that? That God, he doesn't just want the status quo. He doesn't want your faith to dip. Like God is working crazy hard to make this the best spiritual year that you've ever had. Like those old regrets, the, the shame, the guilt, he, he wants you to get past it faster than ever before. The, those old temptations that just seem to know your name, he wants you to fight them and have more victory over them than ever before. He wants more love, more joy, more peace, more spiritual fruit. God wants the whole church to grow. 
That's what Paul's talking about here. It's not talking about numerical church growth. We've got to fill the seats and add services and build buildings. No, in context, he's talking about spiritual maturity in Jesus, resisting the bad, leaning into the good. God wants that for you. Fascinating is that the Apostle Paul can't just say that and end the verse. The body grows, period. Instead, at the end of the verse and in the very middle of the verse and at the very start of the verse, he adds all these little clauses to help you and help me understand how does that happen? How do we grow as Christians? How do we turn the corner against temptations? How do we fight sin and find our peace in Jesus? I'm going to show you three things in this one verse as Paul explains how that happens. The first thing I want to share with you is actually right at the end. I'll underline it for you. Paul says, The whole body grows as each part does its work. So notice how he's moving from like the community, the collective, the whole body to something very personal and individual. As each individual part, each one of us does its singular work. So in Christianity, there's not just collective work, let's love our neighbor as ourself, let's love God with our whole heart. There's actually individual work that God has given you and not the person next to you to do. Now, we recognize that when it comes to our physical body, right? That there's different parts of your one body, but we don't expect all the parts to do all the work. Um, You probably don't type work emails with your eyeballs and you don't make TikTok videos with your elbows. I'll give you a quarter if you try and send me a video. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you know, the thumbs are for this and the fingers are for that and the eyes are for that. You don't expect all the parts to do all the work. You recognize the strength and you leverage that part for what it was made to do. And so in the same way, the Apostle Paul is saying, God has not given you the same work to do as me. And so it's so essential to figure out, well, what's my part? And what's the work? What am I supposed to do when I step into the room that maybe my brother or sister or spouse or pastor can't do? It's really getting back to this big question. Who who are you? Singular question mark. If you're not sure the answer to that question, I can't blame you. I, I was thinking the other day, I probably went 30 years of my life pretty clueless about the part and the work that God had given me to do. Um, You know, I was pretty talented by nature at certain things, but whenever I I would do it or someone would compliment me, I'd say things like, oh, it's nothing. Anyone could have done it. Which is not true. And whenever I consistently, like, fall short of something, like I was out of my lane, I would just think, well, next time I'll do better. Next time I'll try harder. Instead of recognizing that I was an elbow or a foot or an eye, that I was a part, I, I tried to just defer the compliments and ignored the weaknesses instead of believing what Paul's teaching in this verse that God had given me a part. But now I look back on life and the evidence is so evident. Some of you are not going to be shocked. When I was a kid going to school, I talked all the time. I was a kid who'd raise his hand before the teacher had asked a question. I just had a lot to say about I remember my high school Spanish teacher once said, uh, Mike, even when you're not talking, your mouth is open. Because the words come out that much faster if you're just ready and <laughs> ready to go. Like, 
It was easy for me to learn. I took 21 credits every semester in college and barely had any homework. I was just a, a sponge for learning and reading and studying and then like squeezing that sponge out in words and, and tests. And now, what a shock. I mean, the, the best thing that I bring to the ministry is research of the Word of God, binging books and squeezing it out into writing and preaching and, and teaching. It, it was there the whole time. I, I just didn't see it. I said, oh, anyone could do this. But that wasn't true. God had given me a part and I missed it for so long. <laughs> and I missed the part that I wasn't. I, I think back in my life, really complex situations where you're trying to hold two things in tension. At the, like some of you are good at the tension. My brain could just not function. Uh, I struggled. I remember when I got my license as a Christian, trying to figure out how fast God allowed me to drive. Does the word limit mean limit? My brain just wanted a black and white answer. And I'm like, well, I think limit means limit. And then my seminary professors say, well, it's, you know, the spirit of the speed limit. It's not the exact law. You, know, you could talk to cops. They're breaking the speed limit. They don't pull you. Just that, ah, I didn't know what to do with that. There's so much in my life that was like that. What, what kind of shows can a Christian watch? I just wanted black and white, really simple answers instead of principles to wrestle with. And all these years later, I just realized, wow, when it comes to nuance, like layers of tension, like complex marital counseling with lots of emotions, that's, I'm just, I want to be, but I'm not that. I have to defer to other pastors and counselors who have that gift, right? My whole life, there's been evidence of what I am and what I'm not, but it's only been in recent years that I've realized, oh, maybe it would make sense if I did the work that God wired me to do. So, enough about me. Let me ask you, who are you? As you think back on your life story, the stuff you've succeeded at, done well, been complimented for, are there any patterns and themes that you notice? As you think of the frustration, the stuff like you just put off and put off and put off, the stuff where you just felt out of your lane and got more criticism than compliment, have you figured out what part in the body God made you to be? Um, if not, and if you're taking notes, I wish I had 20 minutes to talk about this. I probably have two. So let me give you just a quick next step of things to do. Uh, number one, you've got to figure out your part. Um, I think that's what the tests are for. Right? They're not trying to squeeze you into a box. They're trying to ask you questions to reveal like what excites you and what drains you, what comes naturally to you and what's really difficult for you. T take the test. Number two, compare yourself to people. Normally that's terrible advice. But you're never going to know if this is above average unless you compare yourself to your brother, your mother, your pastor. Now, some of you would say, I never want to do public speaking. And I would say, that's weird. I want to speak in public every second of every day. <laughs> right? Some of you would say, oh, I love just working behind the scenes and serving and listening to people. And I think, oh, wow, that sounds terrible. <laughs> right? You compare yourself to other people and you say, oh, okay, okay. Not everyone is like this, but I'm like this. You notice patterns and you'll start to figure out your place. Number three, try to lean into your strengths as much as you can. You know, what at home, what at work really fits that lane. If you're an eye, spend as much time seeing as you can and as little time hearing as possible. It's not always going to fit. But think deeply about how that would work. Number four, don't miss this one. Realize the shadow side of your strength. 
Often it's not your weakness that leads you into the most temptation, but your strength turned up a bit too high. The person who's very analytical with problems, if, if they're turned up too high, can kind of be a critic of everyone else's idea. The person who enjoys speaking in public often misses the biblical verse to be quick to listen and slow to speak. The person who's organized has an amazing gift, but they can be rigid and impose their self-made plans on everyone else in the family. The person who's adaptable can be irresponsible. You know, figure out who you are and, and realize, just like a good radio station, if you turn that up too high, ah, it's kind of annoying to everyone in the car. Figure out the strength and the shadow side of it. And then finally, pray to God that you could use it. I don't know what God has wired you to do, but I do know this. We don't ask offensive linemen to punt. We don't ask the skinny punters to line up in front of that 327-pound beefcake and do their best. <laughs> we, we put people in the right role. We recognize the power of the parts. And today God is saying to you, this whole body is going to grow as each part, as, as me and as you, do our individual work. And recently, a woman from our church uh, admitted to me that she didn't think for the longest time that she actually had a part. She thought back on her life story and realized she was never the, the best at the, the big things we think about. She was never super athletic, the starting point guard on the basketball team. She wasn't super musical, playing a guitar or singing into the microphone. She wasn't the student body president with like the CEO kind of leadership skills. She wasn't the valedictorian giving the class speech because of her 4.0 GPA. And she, she just thought, if I can't do this and this and this, the, the, the obvious stuff, I must not have a part. But then she came to realize that sometimes the most important parts in the body are the ones you never think about. And when she told me that story, I actually thought of the second thing I want to share with you today. It's right in the middle of this amazing verse. Look at what Paul says. He said, the whole body, comma, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, comma, grows. That is so fascinating to me. Um, Paul wants to say the body grows, but he can't make that simple statement without putting these two commas and telling us right in the middle, that's not going to happen unless the body, quote, is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Who here in church today, who's watching at home, put your hands up nice and high if you're jacked up right now to learn lots about ligaments. Yes, thank you. One. I never knew about ligaments until I used my researching brain to dig deep. Did you know how much your ligaments matter and how little you think about your ligaments? Human body, if my research is correct, has um, just under 80 separate organs. Your eyes, your ears, your stomach, your heart. The body has just over 200 bones, the, the long femur, the, the cranium, your pelvic bone. But your body has over 900 ligaments. If I gave you nine minutes, could you name nine of them? Five of them? <laughs> maybe if you tore one or two of them back in the day, like uh, maybe you've heard of the ACL or the MCL, but these 900 ligaments are almost all invisible and almost always overlooked. And yet, just like this passage says, they are the very things that hold the whole body together. 
that support it so that it can actually grow. I'll put your pens down for just a second. Um, and put your hands right here on either side of your knee. Your hands right now are next to the, the longest bone in the human body, the femur, about 17 inches on average, right next to these long bones. One of your biggest muscles is right here. Your quad, your glute is actually the biggest muscle in the human body. But, but all of these big things, they don't stick together and do this right now. This doesn't happen without lots and lots of of ligaments. You probably don't think about that. Have you ever watched uh, an NFL playoff game, saw some like beefcake running back bust through the line and say, dang, look at the ligaments on that guy. <laughs> no, we, I mean, we call it, that's quadzilla. Like we get, we get distracted by the, by the big parts of the body. But did you know that 30% of NFL injuries are knee injuries mostly related to the ligaments. If the ligaments don't work and hold things together, these big bodies and all their impressive parts fall apart. And I want to say this to those of you who have never been the star of the show, never been the name that gets recognized, have quietly wished that you could do what he does or she does. Those of you who felt like you could walk away and the church went miss you for a single second. If you've ever like not been the person who gets attention and, and feels important, I want to tell you what the Apostle Paul says today, that the whole body only grows when it's supported and joined and held together by many ligaments. Man, I'm coming to see this, that you can have a lot of big, talented people in the room but if you don't have ligaments people who are a little bit more flexible, who stretch outside of their comfort zones, who have those soft social skills like empathy and patience and compassion, man, those big personalities will blow things up very quickly. It takes the quiet woman who's praying for her extroverted pastor that keeps the church strong. It takes that guy who, after the meeting, works a little bit harder going office to office to, to keep people from annoying each other too much that a little thing becomes a big thing. It takes that person who cares very, very deeply about us living in harmony, who goes the extra mile that we can communicate and not, not miss each other or talk past each other. You don't get Employee of the Year award for doing quiet things behind the scenes, but you might be the employee that holds the whole company together. And Paul knows, just like there are way more ligaments than bones in the body, that there are probably way more people in every church, in this church, who do those little, quiet, faithful things to keep us strong. Because people won't say your name or, or hand you some plaque with your last name engraved on it, let me just say, based on this passage in the Word of God, that you matter in this church. That if we could duplicate a thousand of me, the church, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. No. no, we need all kinds of people with all kinds of personalities. Some who stand up front, some who will never be in front. And all of us together are the way that God grows his church. So the next time you stand in front of a mirror and ask yourself this great question, who am I? I, I want a whole bunch of you to smile and say, I'm a ligament.
Yes. Yes. <laughs> they might never know my name. But by the grace of God, he, he's wired me with this kind of flexible, ad- adaptable, peace-loving personality that's holding my church together. Less visible, for sure. Less important? Not a chance. That brings us to the last thing I want to share with you today. Um, I saved the most important for the last point of this message. It's actually where the Apostle Paul started this verse. Did you see those two little words? For the ligaments, before each part, before the whole body grows, the Apostle Paul said, from him, from Jesus. Before we get to the the church, the body, before we get to the individual parts and the people, Paul starts this discussion about spiritual gifts with Jesus. The more I thought about that, the more beautiful I realized his logic was. Now, I've spent a lot of the last 10 years digging deeply into my part and the part of people around me. I've tried to understand myself, lean into my strengths. I've worked on that with fellow pastors, with my wife, thought about it with my children. And what I've realized is you can make incredible gains and have incredible blessings with that good work, but it still falls short. It still doesn't always work out. We, we still miss each other in so many ways. But Jesus... And Jesus is the rock that we can always depend on. Just a few months ago, um, I realized this. My oldest daughter, her name is Brooklyn, she's 15 and a half, she challenged her her book-reading father to a book-reading competition. Brooklyn said, Dad, I bet you one meal at Chick-fil-A that I can read more books than you before the end of the year. And I said, kid, I love you. But you are so dumb. I'm about to murder you. I'm going to kill you. I love reading. All I do is read, soak in knowledge. And, now you're, and I'm super competitive. You just put those two things together, I'm going to like nuclear bomb and dominate you in Jesus' name. All right? So I, I started to read. It was November. I read one book and then two and then four and then six and eight and then ten. I read 11 books in November. We got to December, busy season for pastors, but I read one, two, four, six, eight. I read 21 books in two months. I leaned into my strength. 21 books in two months. Come on now. And I lost. What? (laughs) She kept reading and reading and reading. And then on the last weekend of the year, while I was busy with church, she pulled ahead of me by one book. Do you know what book she beat me with? (laughs) The Basics. The Basics. I said, this isn't a book. Pastor Michael says, it's a booklet. It only has 40 pages in it, but she used it. And she beat me. My kid, I love her. And I'm doing okay now. Thanks for asking. (laughs) But I thought a lot about that story. I I thought about, wow, God has given me a gift. Some of you have not read 21 books in the last 21 years. Um, God's given me a gift. And I realized my my kid has a gift. She can outbook me. Like, I want to help her see that that is not normal. And and she can bring great good and knowledge to wherever she goes. But here's what else I also realized. As hard as I worked, I still didn't win. And as hard as we work on our strengths and it is worthy work, the most important answer that will help you win in life is not who am I. I'm, I'm extroverted. I'm a good reader. I'm a problem solver. I'm a ligament. I'm empathetic. No, the best answer to that big question is from him. Who am I? 
I want you first to answer that question not by standing in front of a mirror or, or taking another personality test, but answer that question by standing right there and receive your identity from him. Find your confidence and your self-worth in some talent and someone will outdo you in this life. Find your self-worth from being the best parent, the smartest kid in class, the best athlete on the court, court, the best singer on stage, and soon you will be humbled and crushed by some, finding someone who is better. But find your ultimate worth from him and you have a firm foundation to set your feet on in this life. From Jesus, we are children of God. From Jesus, we have been forgiven of sins. And from Jesus, we can look in a mirror and say, who am I? I am a holy, perfect, making God happy right in this moment, son or daughter of the king. I'm, I'm working on, on figuring out my part. But wherever I'm at with that work, this I know for sure, that I am a child of God. I'm, I'm trying to understand people and whether we get each other or not, whether we clash and misunderstand, all that messy process is a process, but this is not a process. It's been perfected. That from Jesus, I am a child of God. At the end of every day, a good one or a bad one where I use my strengths or fell short, where people expected the right things from me or totally forgot who I was, I know this. I am a child of God. My, my hope and my peace, my greatest joy comes from him. <laughs> Today I've been trying to teach you Ephesians 4 verse 16. Do any of you um, longtime church people, Bible scholars, know what comes before Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> and do you know what Paul talks about a ton in Ephesians 1 through 3? Him. And he gushes with one of the longest sentences in the whole Bible that from Jesus we are chosen, predestined, forgiven, saved, cleansed, righteous. Paul has something to say about your part, but it's not the first thing. Who are you? The book of Ephesians would answer, you're a child of God. You're part of the family from Jesus. And once we figure that out, once we found our identity in Christ, now we're ready to ask this question, and who am I specifically? I got to tell you, after 40 years of following Jesus and after 10 years of knowing my part, man, life is getting more satisfying than ever. Not easier. But knowing where I fit, why I struggle with certain things and not others, understanding my wife and how she thinks, how she's like me and how she's not. There are so many beautiful things from figuring out our part. But the most beautiful thing is figuring out from him. So, my fellow parts in this beautiful body called Christianity, what would happen this year if you answered the great question? What would happen if you figured out who God made you to be and, and leaned into everything that he intends for you? What would happen if this whole body, supported by every ligament, would do its work? And what would happen when we fall short and struggle if we remembered who we are in Jesus? What if? And I can't wait to find out the answer to that question. As we, as members of Christ's body, follow the one who is our head, Jesus, and find all the forgiveness and love we need from him. Let's pray.
Oh God, it, it is so good to be part of a church with so many kinds of people. Um, to know that there are such gifted leaders in this space and they're such incredibly good listeners. There are people who bring amazing, inspiring ideas to the table and there's those who can analyze those ideas and turn them from good to great. So I think that there are people here who are full of truth and they stand up for good doctrine. And there's other people who just gush compassion and love and they make sure we care about good deeds. Um, there's no one person who could make up the church, Jesus. And so you brought us all together in this place. And now we're praying for help to figure out who we are and who the person next to us actually is. Uh, please save us and rescue us from the pride that either neglects your gift and thinks we're not gifted or imposes our gifting on other people. Uh, Father, you know that expectations are everything. And that's why this question matters so much for our unity, our understanding, and our peace. So help us to pursue it with a passion and to figure out answers as soon as we can. But Jesus, at the end of the day, I'm so grateful for you. That from you, we have the ultimate answer to the biggest question. That despite our past, our present, our struggles, and our sins, we can look in the mirror and answer this question with an exclamation point. Who am I? I am a child of God. And so we pray today with confidence in your name, Jesus, to our Heavenly Father, our Abba, as his dearly loved children. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.